Hello and welcome to Boiled Down. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Orla Director of Government Affairs. And joining me today from the Orla team is Lori Little, Director of Communications. Hi, Lori. Hi, Greg. Well, um, it's golf season. And that includes the Orla Open coming up July 30th out at Langdon Farms. And big thank you to our presenting sponsor, Liberty Mutual. As always, we appreciate having them there. Hopefully the weather's going to hold, although based on the way it looks out today, I don't know if that's going to be true. But uh, I'm sure it's going to be nice and hot. We usually luck out every year when we have this. Yeah, well, we start early in the morning, so it's not too hot. Um, it can be a little early to get things going, but uh, we always have libations on the course and great mm-hmm. food, lots of whole sponsors as well. Um, and, yeah. of course, our lunch sponsor is FSA, Food Services of America. And the beverage cart this year is going to be Elmer's Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner. Uh, which is always great because everybody needs a beverage when they're playing golf at the Orlo. Oh, of course. Yeah. So. We have a ton of uh, hole sponsors too. I mean, it's it's a very well-attended tournament and of course the proceeds go to the pack. So. Yep, which is important and we do have fun because we're Orla and that's the way we do things. But uh, yeah, the support of the pack is very much appreciated. Um, I think we still have room for folks if they want to sign up, get a team together and come on out. Mm-hmm. Now, Greg, I don't know if you're going to actually play in this tournament, but you are playing quite a bit now, aren't you? I am, but that's only because uh, I'm so bad that it's embarrassing when I go out and play. So I do have a couple of things coming up. Uh, I've got uh, a regular Tuesday night group that I'm actually going to be a part of, which I'm excited about. I'll get to play down at Salem Golf Club. Trip to Bandon coming up here soon. And oh, then, nice. uh, yeah, a couple of couple of golf uh, tournaments, I guess, that I'll be playing yeah. in as well. So um, what's your handicap? Uh, me, it's my, I'm my own handicap. That's kind of the way it works. Um, it is kind of interesting though. I, I recently played with a, a group of friends and I had to play my own ball. And that's so odd for me because normally when I'm out, I'm in a tournament you're, you're where it's scrambles. scrambles and, mm-hmm. uh, I can take advantage of the fact that somebody can hit it 300 yards down the fairway. But, uh, man, I realized this year that, uh, if I'm going to go out and play on my own, I better start playing a little more, mm-hmm. uh, consistently. So, uh, yeah, well, I'm even, a, out there. even in a scramble, people depend on you. <laughs> that's you right. Get at least one good shot. Well, right? my short game is pretty good and I can putt pretty well. So that's kind of the, what I bring to the table. But, yeah. um, you know, that's, uh, it's always a lot of fun to get out and, and, uh, and golf with friends and folks in the industry. And so, you know, again, hopefully, People can come and join us at the Orla Open Monday, July 30th out at Langdon Farms. It'll be supportive in the pack. So today we have a great interview. We're going to get into best practices and some stories, tips, and strategies around workers' comp with Pat Morell and Judy Croft of SAFE. But first, we want to make sure that you are getting the most out of your membership with Orla. And to help you do that, we like to highlight a benefit that you may or may not be aware of. So did you know that members get huge benefits for cleaning and emergency services with Summit Cleaning Restoration. Our newest endorsed service provider offers a $400 invoice credit for facility services program customers, free spot removal and stain treatment kit and clinic, a free level three room deodorization treatment twice a year, and free emergency stabilization, which is up to $1,500. And there's more than that. So if you'd like more information, Call Chris Nordyke at Summit Cleaning and Restoration at 503-508-9148. And if you're not a member, visit OregonRLA.org where you can join and start taking advantage of the many member benefits that we have to offer. And now I'm very excited to introduce our guests. We have Pat Morell, Agency and Group Program Coordinator from Safe Corporation, and Judy Croft, Safety Operations Supervisor from Safe Corporation. Welcome to Boiled Down. Thank you. Thank you. 
So we want to get right into things. Uh, we have a terrific partnership with Safe Corporation here at Orla, and it's a chance to save money for our members. So Pat, what is the Orla Safe Workers' Comp Relationship and Group Program? Well, the program is for members who are in the Restaurant and Lodging Association, and members there first, and then they have to meet the underwriting criteria that we have to get into the association. It is a requirement for us to have a loss ratio of 40% or better. Um, frequency of claims has to be at or better than the industry average. And then an experience mod of 1.0 or under. So we are looking at the accounts that are having performance that are it's already better than average. Um, the group discount right now is 10%. It's evaluated every January 1, and our program just started this year. I know you've been out with us at some of the regional conversations around the state, talking to folks about what this means. Um, and so I guess the bottom line is, what does it mean to them? You mentioned some qualifying things and the 10% discount. Um, how do they get involved in this? How do they qualify? Well, like I said, they have to be a member of Orla. That's first and foremost. And then they have to be a safe insured. So getting those two together, we've worked with some of your marketing folks and to, to look at the opportunities we have in the state. And we offer these uh, businesses our group discount by letting them know that they qualify on the, the merits of their underwriting basic. And when we give them the letter of notification, we say, if you're not a member of Orla, please join. And the 10% discount starts at your renewal. And it, again, it's evaluated every January. And so if they don't qualify now, um, when or how could they qualify in the future? Because 10% sounds like a pretty good deal. It is a great deal. Um, and if they don't qualify at this renewal, then we look for the opportunity at their next renewal. We have renewals that happen every month. And so uh, employers renew in January through December. At the renewal, we, we look at the criteria, but we also let them know if they're missing something we are trying to steer them towards some of our safety features so that they can earn their way. Okay. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, so I know that one of the one of the issues that we have is that we can only add half as many people as we have the first year of the program. Is that right? Yeah, you're right. There are some rules about group formation. And this is the first group SAFE has had new in 14 years. Um, the group rules say that um, the membership for the first year sort of starts the, the, the measurement of the growth potential. So we're trying to, to activate as many folks as possible so that the next year we're not uh, stifled to add new members. So, for example, if we were only adding 100 members this year, we could only add 50 more next year. And hospitality is a very large industry in Oregon, and we want to adequately represent them. Well, it's a, like we said, it's a great deal. So we definitely want to get as many people involved as possible. But so why can't everyone get in the group? I mean, why can't we just invite everybody in the hospitality industry? Well, the, the, the criteria being better than average is so that the group performance is always trying to beat the statistical average. It's like a, it's a gigantic experience mod was what it is. And the employer's own experience mod goes into the group experience. And so if you put poor performers in a group, then your, your tendency to have that group fail over the time is great. So if we are trying to beat the average by putting less than average people in, 
we're always start out with a disadvantage. Kind of like a bell curve in high school, right? You don't yeah. want to have those kids dragging down the average. Yeah. So, all right. Yes. Well, um, Judy, tell me more about claims frequency because I know that's a big part of what we're talking about here when it comes to workers' comp insurance. It is a big deal, and it tends to be a stumbling block because people are trying to do business. They're thinking about, you know, how do I operate day to day? And oftentimes injuries are just part of what they do. And so we try and come alongside these businesses to help them understand there are some very easy ways to get at claims frequency and actually reduce claims frequency over time. So it's not a mountain, it's a molehill. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So for Orla members, I mean, there's there's a lot of business pressures, there's a lot of regulations, and it can feel really almost impossible sometimes to implement some sort of an elaborate safety program. So what kind of suggestions would you have? We start with the approach to keep it simple and really contain it inside what the business is already doing. These business owners and managers are talking with their employees on a regular basis about work processes and services and, and the changes that are happening in the business. So if you weave safety into that same message structure, it makes it a lot easier for the business and for the employees. It's not one more thing you have to do. Great. So when we talk about um, incidents, we also talk about accidents. And we were talking uh, earlier before the show, actually, about that line, incidents and accidents. It actually comes from a Paul Simon song, You Can Call Me Alsa. It's great. <laughs> it's a great way to remember that. But, you know, those two words can seem to be kind of, you know, just interchangeable, right? You have an incident, you have an accident. Is an accident an incident? Is an incident an accident? So is there a difference? There is. And when you get into workers' comp, there's even a bigger difference. Uh, an incident from a workers' comp perspective is something that doesn't require medical treatment. It requires first aid. Okay. And so that can even have some nuances because a lot of people think that, well, depending on the first aid, that could be medical treatment. It's usually a licensed medical provider of some sort that's providing that service. It could be stitches. Mm -hmm. That would fall under that. And so incidents and accidents get reported differently from a workers' comp perspective, but from safety, they should also be documented differently because your incidents that are happening where maybe there was a near miss or it was just first aid are great indicators of areas that you can take a look at mm. to make sure that accident doesn't happen and the claim doesn't get filed. Sure. So it, when it becomes an accident, you obviously you're going to file a claim, but what about an incident? Can an incident become a claim? It can become a claim. We hope that it doesn't. Right. But in the situation where maybe someone has a very small ab abrasion or a light burn that doesn't require medical attention, mm -hmm. and then it gets infected later, mm -hmm. and we've heard about that happening. And so that's one of those things that if you aren't aware of what caused it in the beginning, it's really hard to go back and figure out how to change it and make sure that doesn't happen again. Sure. So slips and falls are very common, especially in the restaurant industry in particular. Um, and, you know, you may bump your elbow on the counter or something, ice it and think, oh, it's no big deal. But then, you know, later it, it may have difficulties uh, with mobility or something. And that, in that case, you know, it could become a, a claim. So um, if it's a small thing, you know, like a nick or a cut or, you know, you need to get a couple of stitches because you cut your finger. Is that something that the owner or the operator can just pay themselves? I mean, can they just take care of that, you know, at small claim, urgent claim, uh, urgent care center or something? That's a great question, and no. Okay. <laughs> um, in the workers' comp world, uh, you can't pay 
outside the system. That's what workers' comp is for. So if medical treatment is needed, it's really important that that claim gets filed Mm -hmm. and that it happens through the employer. So the manager, the supervisor, the business owner knows about it, and that claim form gets filed because then SAFE can actually manage that claim better if we know about it up front. Okay. And so that's a really helpful piece to think about. And a lot of people, they're busy. And that's why if it doesn't require medical attention, oftentimes we find they don't even write it down. Mm -hmm. So that incident documentation, even though it seems like it takes extra time, is really important because that's the point where all the hazards are. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't documenting it, then you aren't really getting a good picture of where those intersections are you really need to focus on well you were reading my mind because that was going to be my next question which was so if it's an incident Mm -hmm. and not an injury not something that requires that you know medical care uh licensed medical care uh it it kind of begs the question you know we're we're all very busy and and especially in a small business you know you're wearing several different hats why document the details i mean there's there's a lot of other things especially if you're in the middle of a rush or uh, if there's a lot going on in the business at that time uh, but it sounds like there's there's really kind of two reasons one you know having to do with the claim and the other having to do with preventing in the future is that right you're right and there's a really good example you brought up the slips trips and falls so maybe there is a tile in the back of house at a restaurant that the edges come up or maybe it's where two different types of flooring meet. Nonetheless, there's something that's causing people to trip. Sure. And no one has fallen, but they're tripping, they're stumbling, and the second that doesn't get documented, then nobody knows. But it's happening in an ongoing basis. So imagine a really busy rush, mm-hmm. and you've got people flying in and out of there, and they're all tripping on it. Nobody says anything. Then the rush gets busy for dinner, and you're taking an order out to a table of maybe eight people, and you lose a tray of food. Mm -hmm. So now you've got to re-deliver that food. You've got to go make the customer happy. And then because the food fell, the next person that comes along, they actually slip, trip, and fall because there's something else on the floor. So this has been going on over time. And everyone's complaining about it, but nobody's reporting it. So now you've got the perfect storm. You've got a workplace injury that's going to take time to document. You've got food that has to be reprepared and delivered. You're going to have to make peace with your customer. Right. And your kitchen flow is totally stopped. So reporting those things, documenting them in a simple way. I'm not advocating that you get out this great big, you know, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and go through an analysis right there. But you've got to have a way to capture that because the owner and supervisor need to know, Hey, we've, we've got a structural issue we've got to address, but even more, how many of these situations where somebody could injure themselves or lose a big tray of food that's going out to a customer table? Yeah. Now for larger operations, they may have forms for that, but for smaller operations, they, they may not have anything to document that. Does, does Safe Corporation have uh, forms? Do they have some ideas, best practices for those kinds of things that they can help with? We do. We have several different forms. Some are very small, and they would be easy to keep regardless of where you are in the business. Okay. We've even seen people with whiteboards that 
aren't in the direct view of the customer, but somewhere where they can just go and quickly write down, you know, floor tile by swinging door is popped up. And it's nothing formal, but at the end of the shift, a supervisor or a business owner would be able to look and see, hey, this is what's going on. We need to address it. Right. So it can be very simple. Well, that's good to know because, uh, as I mentioned, it's it's very busy, obviously, and there's a lot going on. So uh, the easier we can make it for the owners, I think, uh, the I even heard of a business that they had people text the supervisor because that was easier than finding a place to hang a whiteboard. Sure. yeah. Well, and that's how we all communicate, right? We all have right. our phones out and ready to go. So, well, good. Well, that seems like a good place for us to take a quick break, and uh, we'll come right back with more from Safe Corporation. Oregon's love of food runs deep. The evidence is all around us in our restaurants and hotels that pride themselves on high-quality fresh ingredients. And to truly cherish food, we have a responsibility to stop wasting it. As food professionals, we have the power to eliminate significant amounts of waste. By ordering just enough, using it from tip to tail and root to leaf, we can show our colleagues and our customers what's possible and delicious. Visit foodwastestopswithme.org to learn more about how you can reduce food waste in your kitchen. Welcome back to Boiled Down. My name is Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. And I'm here with Pat Morell, Agency and Group Program Coordinator for Safe Corporation, and Judy Croft, Safety Operations Supervisor for Safe Corporation. And Pat, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way for them to contact you? They can email me at patmor at saif.com or call 800-285-8525, extension 8827. Fantastic. And Judy, how about you? They can email me at judcro at saif.com, or they can also reach our safety services team at safetyservices at saif.com. Fantastic. And I know you're going to be at convention uh, September 30th and October 1st, which is going to be at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Portland, Washington Square. We're going to have a presentation. And as I mentioned a little earlier, uh, Pat has been with us at our regional conversations around the state earlier this spring. And I think, Judy, you were at one of those as well. So we appreciate you guys giving us that information. And of course, we're going to have uh, more information on our website as well. I wanted to go and clarify something on um, the incidents and reporting of claims. Judy was talking about keeping track of the incidents, and we can't pay those accounts or can't pay those claims directly to the doctor from the employer standpoint. I mean, it sounds like, you know, in, in car insurance, if you want to not return it into the insurance carrier, you can pay your own claims. You know, that's an option. But in workers' comp, you've got to report to the carrier. That's the rules. But there is a medical reimbursement program that an employer can participate in, and that is one that they still report the claim to the carrier, and then the carrier sends them a bill for the claims that qualify for the reimbursement. Um, we can help the employers decide whether or not that's a good choice for them because sometimes, depending upon the size of the business, it doesn't pencil out. Um, a claim still happens, it's still an incident, it uh, still is an occurrence, it still is a frequency. So paying those sometimes doesn't pencil out for smaller employers. Great. Thanks, Pat. So you, you just mentioned frequency, and obviously injuries are just kind of a part of doing business, especially if you're in a kitchen. Uh, why is there such a focus on frequency, though? Well, I'll start this one because this is the this is the bugaboo everybody's talked about. I'm a great business, and we know you're a great business, but 
you're only supposed to have one claim every three years statistically, and you've had two. Um, and it's like, so the, the reason that we focus so much on the frequency is that historically, frequency breeds severity. The little ones eventually led up to a big one. And if you don't pay attention to the small stuff, um, it will eventually turn into something larger. And Judy has a good analogy on car insurance. I think we all understand car insurance, but workers' comp, this is a good correlation. Well, in insurance in general, we really don't pay a lot of attention to it until we have a claim sure, or the cost goes up. Mm-hmm. So along those lines, the frequency piece, and it's not just this industry, everybody is really, really excited about the frequency discussion and really taking a look at having frequency being just how business happens. But with car insurance, you're going to get dinged on your car insurance if you've had two cracked windshields, three speeding tickets, and an accident. Mm -hmm. So frequency adds up there. But let's back that up and say, hey, I've only had four windshield replacements, which are small in the scope of auto insurance, in the last five years. And now my auto insurance company has increased my rates, or maybe they're going to say, you know what, you you have a really bad situation here with, right. with auto glass, and, and we just aren't going to carry you anymore. There's a point where the insurance company is looking at those small frequency issues and saying, the average person, or in this case in workers' comp, the average business does not have this kind of frequency or mm-hmm. occurrence. And that's going to impact their insurance policy. So we really want to get on the front end of that, which is why we discuss the incident and accident reporting and making it simple, making it work inside of the business infrastructure that's already in place. Got it. So when we talk about those safety policies and wanting to you know, eliminate the frequency of claims, uh, documenting some of those safety policies it really seems to be kind of an important requirement uh, as a part of a whole program when you're trying to, to prevent these things. Again, people are so busy, I, you know, barely have time to operate the business and, and all the other things that have to go around with it. So do you have tips on documenting safety policies? I mean, again, are there ways that you can help our members with that? There are some great resources that make it a little more simple than a lot of people make it. And sometimes what we'll see is the safety policies somehow find their way into the employee handbook, which is usually hundreds of pages, and most of us don't remember reading it. And so trying to make it simple and effective is really our focus, because we understand the employees, once they're hired, they're going to read it, and they'll remember a small amount. But it's really what's in practice. Mm -hmm. What are you doing day to day? And in the event that OSHA should show up, which has nothing to do with safe, yeah, they're their own. Wood, right? Yeah, they're <laughs> their own entity. But if they show up, they're looking at what's in practice. They want to see it in writing, but they really want to know: Do the employees know how to be safe on the job? Do the supervisors know how to be safe on the job? And is it happening? Yeah. So really taking a look at that, and then documenting really only what you have to. Sometimes we'll go into a place, they have a very elaborate safety program, but they aren't following any of it. Mm. So don't document something that you aren't following. Sure, yeah. So when it comes to that training and whether it's a a monthly meeting that you're having with the employees where you're discussing safety as a part of that, I mean, 
we feel like we're constantly having to train employees, whether it's new hires or there's new regulations. So again, it, it, are there things that SAFE can help businesses do with that training? Is there something, that, a resource that you can offer? We have a lot of really great training resources, but they aren't all perfect for every situation. Sure. Uh, if you've got a really, really busy restaurant and maybe you only have certain shifts that you're open versus a full-scale hotel mm -hmm. and very different operations, we have uh, some regional classes offered around the state at no cost for supervisors, managers, and owners and those can happen in any of our offices, and those are published on our website under safe.com slash training. Perfect. And okay. those are great, and they're free, um, offered every month in all of our offices around the state. We also have online webinars that happen, so you can take a look at what's out there. I know that Orla does webinars also. We have pre-recorded webinars on demand, and then we have e-learning. Beyond that, we have just introduced at the beginning of April a learning management system, which is what I would call kind of an online academy, sure. where a business, if they're insured with SAFE, can go in through our website, sign up into the SAFE Learning Center, and then take a variety of courses on safety and operations that are available there at no cost. Well, wow, those are all great reasons to be a member of Orla and be a part of this program and be part of SAFE because uh, that sounds like a, a broad array of learning tools for our members. And again, a lot of them are uh, very busy, so it's nice to hear that there are pre-recorded webinars as well as the uh, e-learning academy because it, it seems like that would fit uh, with those schedules that we have for folks. The e-learning academy is so great because it provides the documentation to the owner that these people have taken the courses. So no more keeping track of who's who's gone on and who's done what. And I think that's really a great benefit for the employer. Well, and it dovetails nicely with another program that we offer, our guest service gold, customer service program. And so it's another one that they can take uh, online and get uh, accredited, basically certified as uh, somebody who is at the gold standard for customer service. And uh, so, again, this just seems like a, another way for uh, employees to better themselves, get more knowledge, education, and also potentially help themselves get promoted later, you know, get different jobs as they, as they grow as a, as an employee. Um, so is there a good time? I mean, I'm sure it's always, but is there a good time to think about, uh, safety, you know, whether it might be that you've, you've changed the layout or maybe you've gotten a new piece of equipment. Uh, I mean, are there certain triggers, if you will, that, that, uh, probably prompt you guys to say, ah, this is a good time to talk about safety. Well, we're hoping it gets discussed even when they're meeting at the beginning of a shift. If something's changed, a piece of equipment isn't working, maybe something has been replaced mm -hmm. since the last shift, all of those things that happen from an operational basis have a safety component. So just having a 10-second discussion about what those changes are is, is ideal. Sure. Um, if you've made any sweeping changes to the business or the operations, it's really important to talk about safety then. I think a lot of times people get busy and they'll look at their staff and say, are you familiar with this type of equipment? We just, we just bought it, brought it in. It was installed yesterday. Most people just smile and head nod because right. we're going to say, of course I know how to operate that slicer. <laughs> Not really, but I'll figure it out. So those are the things that we really want people to take an extra couple of minutes to talk about. 
A really good example is just changes to the facility. Maintenance happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that doesn't get communicated. And one of the stories I wanted to share is a restaurant that I dealt with a couple years back. And they had a door um, in their area for the back of house that was kind of stiff. It was a swinging door. Okay. It was pretty stiff. People had to really put their weight into it. And fire marshal came in, did an inspection and said, hey, you probably should change this. It's really, really stiff. And there were times that it would actually lock up. So they were closed on a Monday. That's when they were always closed. Owner went in, changed out the door. Door swung really easily. Nobody bothered to tell anybody, oh, by the way, there's going to be a new door on Tuesday. And you aren't going to have to throw your body into it like you're on the football field. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that happened, somebody loaded with a full tray goes into that door like they're a linebacker and they and the food fall through the door. Mm. So it's just sometimes we get in a hurry. Like you said, we're busy doing a lot of other things and just taking a few minutes to say, hey, by the way, we're putting in a new door. You aren't going to have to throw yourself into it. And not only that, but put up a sign and get everyone trained. Pat and I have talked about this a lot. Just verbal cues. Yeah. Hey, you know, coming through the door, um, don't forget that door swings easily because that is something, it's pattern habit. And if somebody wasn't on that shift on Tuesday and they come in on Friday, everyone may be thinking, oh, everybody knows by Friday that this (laughs) door swings easily. So. Yeah, they've had three days to figure it out, whereas the person that just came in hasn't been there. So Exactly. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, beyond the issues that we might have with mm-hmm. dropped trays, yes. um, there are some other costs to ignoring the safety regulations, uh, some very serious costs. And Judy, do you want to go through just a few of those things so that we can remind our members of why it's so important, not just for the safety of their employees, obviously, uh, but there are other things that they need to worry about as well. And that's a good point. Uh, OSHA, which I mentioned before, is the regulatory body for safety and health in Oregon and across the United States. And in Oregon, there's something called the Oregon Safe Employment Act. And that basically says it's the employer's responsibility to provide a safe and healthy workplace. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those things that nobody's going to sit and read through 3,000 pages of OSHA code. But when you boil it down... That's the whole point. And so OSHA does come into the workplace. They can do inspections. Sometimes people send in complaints. Sometimes there's a focus that OSHA is looking at. Maybe there's something they're seeing from a hazard trend and they're getting out to those businesses. So there is a cost of not complying from that side, which has nothing to do with safe. But it's important to keep in mind. That's kind of the uh, law enforcement you know, enforcing speed limits on the road. There is a reason there are speed limits and rules of the road, and someone has to enforce that. And OSHA, in addition to enforcing, has a lot of free services. They have free courses. Uh, They have um, consultants can come out and work with the business and take them through that kind of OSHA walkthrough. Sure. So that's a good benefit. On top of that, there are claims. And, of course, every time a claim is filed, that takes somebody's time. Not only the person that's been injured 
And it could be very minor, it could be very serious, and it could totally change their life. But then it's going to be the people they work with, yeah, their supervisors, the business owners. It takes time to manage a claim. If, you know, maybe it's somebody from your business that they're the only one that does that job. They're the only one that has that knowledge. Mm -hmm. So it's really going to be kind of a devastating thing for the business to try and figure out how are we going to cover this role while this person is out. So on top of that, and I always talk about, there's a trickle-down effect. Yeah, You know, nobody wants the health department to come out, but they do. Mm -hmm. And they take a look at things because they're a regulatory agency. And there's costs associated with that. There's general liability insurance. That's a line that we don't cover. Right. But when things go wrong, sometimes that's one of those insurance lines that gets tapped into. That can go up. Absolutely. Or get dropped. Yeah. And the one thing I try and get businesses to think about, and especially in hospitality, the reviews from consumers about how they felt about that experience, whether it's at a hotel, at a restaurant, anywhere in the hospitality industry. That is something that everyone wants, a really great rating. Nobody sure. wants to be drugged through social media. And unfortunately, we're of the age where everyone pulls out their phone and starts taking pictures and videos. And those are things that can't be stopped. It's kind of the social media freight train. Yep. So when something happens, someone is taking a picture of it. And those are things that as soon as they hit the digital world out there on social media, it's really hard for a business to recover from that. So by putting safety into everything you do, and not something extra, not this big burdensome program, but just a conversation. Yeah, Communication doesn't cost a lot of money, but if you do it well, it really does have an impact. And all these things I talked about can go down in cost. Yeah. Great. Well, um, we're getting close to the end here, so I'm going to throw it open to any last thoughts or any uh, uh, tips or tricks or anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners out there. And we'll start with you, Pat, if you want to um, let our listeners know of anything that they haven't heard already in the podcast. I would like to just say that if they've got questions, please don't hesitate to call and ask because this is a new program for us and it is a new partnership with Orla. And I want people to understand that our agents out there um, are working feverishly to try and educate them about this new partnership. So be in contact with whomever and we'll be happy to help. Great. And Judy, anything for our listeners from you? Well, it all depends on if you had time for a quick story. Sure. <laughs> One of the things we talked about as far as frequency is how can that go from I'm not having a problem with frequency to I'm having a really big problem with frequency. We see it with seasonal business, and that happens a lot in the hospitality oh, yes. industry. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a friend that works in the industry, and they said that, you know, it's wedding season. So mm. that causes a lot of things to to go on very quickly. And one of the things I wanted to relay was a quick story about a uh, business in the hospitality industry that had a couple of locations and they had some friendly competition between two of the managers. This wasn't something that was sponsored by the business. They weren't encouraging it. But two managers decided to have a rivalry and it's like, oh, I can do it better, faster, and make more money than you. Sure. And when we went back and looked at their frequency and we singled out the frequency because they had a number of locations – 
it was those two locations where the managers were having a friendly competition that was driving the entire frequency bubble for that business. And the conversation was really challenging with the business owner to say, we don't want that to go away, but if you took all of the increased cost of the workers' comp insurance and just shared it to those two locations, all the extra money they made in profit would have been eaten up by the increased cost of their workers' comp. So it was a great conversation, but it was one of those things we really had to dig into. Sure. Well, no, that's great. That's good information to have because sometimes when you're you're trying to do better, when you're trying to do faster, uh, you end up costing yourself more in the long run. So that's a that's a great illustration of that. One of the things we were talking about was Oregon OSHA and how they are a regulatory body. They can go out and inspect and sometimes cite. Yep. And I'm sure everyone can relate to having a parking ticket or maybe having a speeding ticket at some point in their life. No, nobody can ever have one of those, can they? Let's stick with the parking (laughs) ticket. That's probably better. Sure. But there is a situation, a story recently of a restaurant owner that had three locations. They had a complaint that was sent in it. And this is the the truth of the matter. Anyone can send in a complaint sure. to Oregon OSHA. And the complaint cited a few safety issues. The business had two weeks from when they got the complaint to respond to Oregon OSHA about what they were doing about these. And unfortunately, the business was very busy, didn't have time to do that. So OSHA showed up for an inspection and they found a few things and they issued some citations that had some fines associated and the business had two to three weeks to remedy those and send in just a simple letter saying, this is what I've done to fix those. Right. But they were busy and they didn't do it. And so OSHA showed up again and went back through and half of the things they'd found before had been fixed, but the business never said, hey, here's the great things I've done. We fixed it. Exactly. But there were a few that hadn't been fixed. Mm -hmm. So then they got cited again. And the fines for a small restaurant with three locations ended up being over $8,000. Wow. And originally it was only $600 for the citations. Mm. But because they had ignored it, like Judy's story of the ticket, the parking ticket you put in the glove box and forgot, and then it grew. This one grew from 600 to 8,700. Yeah. Wow. Oh. And the other thing about that is when the complaint came in, if they had dealt with it at the complaint level, it is likely OSHA never would have shown up on premise after that. Right. So a postage stamp and maybe 15 minutes of writing could have saved (laughs) what happened. And I share that because those are things that just eat up time. Yeah. And the bigger they get, the more time they take. And we realize businesses don't have that kind of time. So just addressing them early, it doesn't have to be elaborate, is good both from a regulatory and a safety perspective. Yeah, just nip it in the bud. Great. All right. Well, uh, we're going to take another quick break and we're going to come back with our advocacy watch. Hi, I'm Punky Scott, the owner of the Bomber Restaurant in Milwaukee. My dad opened the Bomber in 1948 because our family has always loved food. With this love of food, however, comes a huge concern over wasting it. One day I looked in the Bomber's garbage bins and discovered our customers were not finishing what we served them. 
We made a few changes to our portion sizes, started composting, and now very little food gets wasted. Being a sustainable business is important to me and to my family. By changing how we handle food in our kitchen, we're improving our bottom line and helping to preserve Oregon's natural resources for future generations. Visit foodwastestopswithme.org to learn more about how you can help reduce food waste in your kitchen. Welcome back. It is time for Advocacy Watch. This is where we boil down some of the local, state, and national government affairs issues that you should be aware of. We're going to start off today talking about lottery. Uh, We've been having a couple of meetings now with our lottery subcommittee of the Public Policy Committee because we have uh, the lottery contract that's coming up in 2020. Right. So when uh, do those roadshow meetings start up? Well, we've got a couple of things going on right now. As I mentioned, we have our own uh, lottery meetings where we're discussing things. In fact, the first one, uh, we had uh, Barry Pack, the uh, lottery director, who came and discussed some of the future offerings that the Oregon Lottery is going to be uh, doing. They themselves are going to be putting together the roadshow that you just mentioned, uh, Lori, and we're still waiting to see some dates from them. Uh, We anticipate those will be next year and that they will kind of share with everybody what the plan is for the lottery contract uh, as we go through that. Now, your Orla Government Affairs team, including Bill Perry, Jason Brandt, and myself, will be having discussions ongoing with them. And we've got Jim Lampus and Roger Nyquist, our lottery committee co-chairs, who are also a part of that conversation and leading the uh, meetings that we're having with everybody. So we encourage you, if you are a lottery retailer, get in touch with us. You can reach me at astley at oregonrla.org or call the office here at 503-682-4422 and get directed to me so we can get you the information about those meetings coming up. We're going to move next to local issues. Uh, The city of Portland is considering a ban on single-use plastics And right now the focus seems to be on straws, although Seattle just passed a ban on single-use, you don't want to call it silverware, I guess. Utensils. Utensils, thank you. And straws. Yeah, and straws. But uh, we have a couple of members that are going to be a part of a work group that's putting that together. We do know that uh, there's probably going to be legislation in the 2019 legislative session around single-use plastics. Again, probably straws. And we'll be pushing for voluntary rather than mandatory. Uh, There's been a lot of uh, folks in the industry who have been working toward an on-demand uh, requests only for straws, plastic straws in particular. There's a yeah. There's an already a number of restaurants and even hotels that, that have food service in the Portland area and probably statewide that are already moving towards you know uh, an alternative for the straw or at least um, you know having their their guests ask for it. Yeah, we so. and we know there are issues obviously with with non plastic straws. You know for. Uh, the cost is one. Um, I just talked with a restaurant owner the other day who said that uh, plastic straws cost her about four hundredths of a cent each, and that if she goes to the paper straws, they're going to be costing about ten cents a piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you know it's the right thing to do if if you have the opportunity to to make a change there. Yeah, it is, and and uh, we do hope that members will consider uh, voluntarily moving to on demand. I know that the city of Ashland has a pilot project going on right now. Uh, But we also know from some of our friends in the disabled community that paper straws and metal straws can be a problem for them as well uh, because they dissolve, you know, rather quickly uh, and because metal straws can present a health hazard Mm -hmm. for folks with uh, neuromuscular diseases. 
I think we are going to be seeing a lot of different, um, some viable options with the compostable products. Um, in fact, Starbucks is moving to a strawless lid, but they also have compostable straws that they are developing. Well, and McDonald's is doing the same thing. Uh, I know that within a few years, McDonald's hopes to have 100% plant-based straws available in all their restaurants um, globally. So that's going to be a big move for them as well. Yeah, good move. All right. Well, the last thing we want to cover today is uh, what's going to be coming up in November on your ballot. And we've actually got three. I lumped these all together here. But um, statewide, we've got a couple of initiatives. Uh, The first is Ballot Measure 103, which is Keep Our Groceries Tax-Free. This is a ballot measure that would prevent any kind of a sales tax or gross receipts tax on groceries. Um, How does that affect restaurants, though? Well, you know, interestingly enough, uh, we're waiting for an opinion from the uh, National Restaurant Law Center uh, about whether or not restaurants would be included in that. Uh, there are there are some questions as to whether or not prepared foods would be included, um, or whether some of the offerings that grocery stores have, you know, similar to uh, uh, the delis that they offer foods out of, if that would be part of uh, what we would consider a restaurant as well. And so. We're waiting to hear, but that could impact uh, restaurants, which would mean we would no longer have to worry about um, any sales taxes or meals taxes. But uh, definitively, we know that it would exclude any future uh, sugary beverage or soda taxes, uh, Mm -hmm. which is something that could impact the restaurant industry, obviously, here in the state of Oregon. Yeah, certainly. The other initiative uh, that was statewide that qualified was, uh, it's IP31. We don't have a ballot measure yet, but it's the end easy tax, or yeah, end easy tax hikes, uh, a tax is a tax is a tax, which is basically um, cementing what's in the Oregon Constitution right now to say that if you have a fee or uh, any kind of a revenue change, increase, decrease, it's subject to the supermajority vote in the Oregon legislature. Just three-fifths. Three-fifths, that's right. And we had a recent uh, situation where a tax credit was removed, which essentially raised taxes uh, for Oregon businesses, but it was done on a simple majority vote. And uh, the folks who put this um, ballot measure out there feel that because it was a tax increase, uh, it really should have been subject to the supermajority rule. So this just clarifies that. And uh, Orla has been supportive of that effort, and we will continue to be. So uh, look to our page, uh, website, oregonrla.org, for more information on that. And then finally, uh, again, locally, the city of Portland looks like um, there has been a ballot initiative on a gross receipts tax for businesses that do over a billion dollars globally and half a million dollars within the city of Portland. If you're a a business or corporation that's doing those kinds of sale volume, you're going to be subject to a tax on your gross receipts, which is going to go toward weatherization and uh, green energy jobs for people with low income and uh, communities of color. Now, is that for businesses based in Portland or just any business that does? Just any business that does uh, a half a million dollars in the city of Portland and a billion dollars globally. Mm-hmm. So um, that looks like it's going to be on the ballot and we'll, we'll keep you informed as well about that. But we know there's an effort, uh, both proponents and opponents for that one. Okay, we'll watch out for that. Yeah. Well, as always, we want you to keep those emails coming to info at OregonRLA.org. If you've got government affairs questions, if you've got opinions, and who doesn't, but also let us know what's going on in your area, and uh, we'll feature you on a future podcast here for Boiled Down. 
I'd like to say thank you again to Pat Morell, Agency and Group Program Coordinator for Safe Corporation, and Judy Croft, Safety Operations Supervisor for Safe Corporation, for joining us today to talk about Workman's Comp and some of the important issues that you need to know about our partnership with them and uh, how you can save money and prevent incidents and accidents in the future. And, of course, Lori Little, Orla Director of Communications, as always. Thank you for joining me today. I am your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for Orla. Thanks for listening.